Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Lee Boyd and Rob Beller. Hey, Podcast World, welcome to another exciting, enthralling, friendly, friendly. episode. Very friendly. That's nice. Is that a good word? Uh-huh. Cozy. <laughs> uh-huh. Like an old, warm blanket that you've had for a long time that just feels good when you wrap it around you. I was thinking like a smoking jacket with a pipe. I don't know. Maybe a dog. So our guest today is Tony Triola, who Lee just introduced him as the smoking jacket and pipe of the claims industry. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Did I get well, that right? Last time I introduced him as, as the mayor. Uh, so, yeah. He was yeah, the mayor. I, I don't know what's about that. I was talking to a very random person today. I can't even remember who it was. I said, do, do you know Tony Triola? He says, do I know Tony Triola? He goes on and he tells me a whole Tony Triola story that was That's actually very flattering, but I can't repeat it all. And it just went to show how far and wide his connections are in this industry. Well, yeah, I was just going to say, I, I met Tony years and years ago doing work with him. And, and he was just a presence. He was just so out there and I enjoyed it. But then I met him at conferences and I realized that everyone in the world knows Tony. So we work in the claims industry, Lee and I, and we work for Alacrity Solutions, big, big provider of claim services uh, to the carrier world and other, and other parts of the world to do with insurance claims. And uh, everything from temporary housing to adjusting to third-party administration, and more contents, etc. And the claims business, for those of you who don't work in this business, who are maybe in other parts of InsureTech, is actually it's a pretty small community. Like you go to InsureTech Connect, and there's six thousand people there. You go to a claims conference, a big one, there's a thousand people, yeah. right? right? Big, big property claims. Because it's a small community, you often get to know a lot of people. And right. uh, both Lee and I are fortunate that we've gotten to know a lot of people in the claims business. And Tony is probably one of the people that if you put Lee's list together and my list together, Tony would still know more people. Everyone knows Tony. Everyone, Everyone knows, knows Tony. And Tony recently had the opportunity to take a job at Verisk, a enormous insurtech company. Huge. Who, huge. Uh, the owners of Exactware, and to help them model and forge their future. Yeah. And we thought, boy, that's going to be such an interesting conversation to have. First of all, we love Tony. And second of all, um, how interesting of a job is that? I I mean, I think it's great. And and you'll hear from Tony where he gets to talk about how he was able to use his past life with the insurance carriers. And he's able to take that knowledge and those relationships and use it uh, today in his new role to help forge forward. I mean, it is it is a really neat job that he has. And I'm, I'm very excited for him. And we're excited to have him with us. And so without further ado, 
Here is our interview with our friend, accomplice, and partner in crime, Tony Triola, AVP of Claims Automation and Partner Strategy at Verisk. Hey, everybody. We are here with a guest who's so special that I can't call him a special guest. He's just special in every way that that term or word is used. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, we have with us today, Tony Triola, back for round three, third visit. Well, thank you for the warm, warm welcome. You know how much I love you both. And so I'm, I'm happy to be back on the InsureTech podcast. And and I wish you had some Foley artists so you can get the whistles and the claps when you announce my name. Next if there's one on word for the ambiance of this particular podcast, it's love. 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 Love is all around us. Love is all around us. Love is all you need. Isn't that a Journey song? I don't know. Moving right along. <laughs> Thank you for coming back. We're thrilled to have you. To be here. Uh, I think that's obvious by the introduction thus far. And why don't we start by you telling us, why would we have Tony Triolo on the podcast today? Go ahead. Let the cat out of the bag. Well, you know, after 24 illustrious years at two big five carriers in the insurance industry and in claims mostly, um, I made the leap and went to the, the dark side. <laughs> the vendor side. And so I would imagine, among other things you'd like to talk to me about today, is what that feels like being at the carrier for so, so very long and for you know 10 or 11 years being a, you know, a buyer at the carrier for claims products. And what's it feel like being on the other side? I would imagine that's part of the, the story here. If it's not, I, I begin to worry about you and me. A little. Well, <laughs> if there's anything that our podcast is all about, its feelings. So right. you're in the right place, Tony Triova. And but second of all, where are you and what's yeah. your job? Well, physically, I'm in St. Petersburg, Florida, and it's okay. paradise here. So come visit. Professionally, um, I am now at Verisk Analytics. And so I am the assistant vice president of claims automation and partner strategy. Wow, that sounds like a really big title, doesn't it, Lee? Sounds huge. I only get, I only accept the longest title. I mean, what, what is that title? Like, what what do you do? So um, part of the, the greatness about this position is that it's not only am I new to Verisk, I, I joined, let's call it April, and it's October now, so six months-ish. I have to call a timeout. I have to call an audible here. T.O. Okay. It's football season, right? Huh? Do you guys like yeah. how I did that? I like that. Great. So I'm calling an audible. And so we have a lot of people on the podcast, believe it or not, who are insure tech people who might not understand or fully appreciate what Verisk is. So you say you work for Verisk. Let's start with that. You're the first person we've ever had on from Verisk. What the heck is Verisk? There is an official definition of what Verisk is, but I will tell you what I tell my family and friends. Okay. who have absolutely no idea what Verisk is and what they do for the insurance industry. And by the time I get done telling them this, they don't know anything more than where they start. So Verisk Analytics is one of the largest providers of data 
and tools to digest that data to the insurance industry, both on the underwriting and rating side and on the claim side. That's interesting. So it's one of those gigantic, enormous businesses that a lot of people have never even heard of, right? We are a gigantic, enormous public company that started off 50 years ago in 1971 as the original not-for-profit ISO, as uh, the, the original contributory database of insurance claims. But today we are a vastly successful for-profit business who makes and sells some of the best products in the industry for underwriting and claims. Great. And so now that we understand what Verisk is, tell us what you do there. What do I do? So this position was created. I'm the inaugural holder of this job at Verisk. So I work on the claim side and we essentially have four verticals within the claims division. And so Rob, you've run a business, and so you know what it's like to, to look forward. My job is to sit in the middle of all those business units as a shared service and make sure that we are designing products designed for claims automation and forming relationships and partnerships that work not only for each individual vertical and their P&L, but also uh, works across those, those divisions, works across those verticals within the claims division. Um, so that we can design the best tools possible that that meet the needs of the insurance industry and the claims industry specifically. So is that is that to kind of keep bear risk going down the right path that the clients are wanting? You know, I, I guess the future of insurance is so big and so bright. InsureTech is everywhere. You've got to kind of keep keep changing paths a little bit. And is that kind of your role to make sure you're still on the right path or the needed path? Yeah, so so you're you're we're hitting it from a lot of different angles. We're bou- we're bouncing around the center, but but one of the like I said originally, one of the joys of having this this role is that I'm the first one to have it. And so the first thing I need to do is to define what it is this position does now and you know continuing on into the future. And so it occurs to me that if you want to be successful in this industry selling products, you have only have you only have to do two things. That's it. Two things. It's really simple. You have to design products that customers actually want to purchase from you. And you have to be the kind of company people want to do business with. Mm. And so I see my role as those initially here is to define the strategy of what we're going to do starting off at that point. What products and services can we build for the insurance industry that they actually want? And what kind of partner can we be to the industry? How can we partner with the industry and other companies in the industry in a way that this industry wants us to? to make our carrier customers successful. because, And we've talked about this at length, Rob, and I think we covered it in the first podcast, is that this is all at the end of the day intended to benefit the ultimate consumer, which is the policyholder. The better our products and services are, the more efficiently and accurately their claims are handled. And the more efficient we can make a carrier at handling these claims and the more accurate we can make them, That'll translate into policy savings, which helps the carrier grow and helps the consumer pay less for the premiums. That's what it's all about. So, Tony, you're focused on claims. What are some of the the tools and products that Verisk has in that vertical? So, of course, Lee, you're familiar. Yeah. We are the producers of Xactimate, which uh, owns the market for estimatics on the property space. Um, We have... Uh, claim search is uh, perhaps 
our most well-known product across the industry because it spans across different claims lines of businesses. And that's the claim search feature where that's the contrib- that's the original ISO contributory database. We sell products that help evaluate liability claims and injury claims that result out of the negligence of other parties. Um, you know, but I'm telling you it all, I think this all starts and ends with, with data for us. We are at, at the end of the day, uh, we are the holder of large amounts of data, which we can then turn around to, uh, and sell products back to the industry that help the carriers make the best possible decisions on claims outcomes. So it, you sound like you have a super cool job. I have a super cool job. Like you said, you have two problems. One is to come up with the really cool products that your customers want and need. And the other is to work with your customers to buy them, right? Yes, absolutely. And work with the industry. There's a third piece. And work with the industry to partner on solutions that make our products better. Talk about the challenge of each of those. So I will say this after six months. It's amazing to me how very little, and I didn't realize this before I went to go to work for a vendor in the industry, but even working for a large vendor, it's amazing to me how very little is known about the inner workings, desires of the insurance company. It's a really strange deal to me. And so now I understand why, because I err on the side of being a blazing neon lamp when I'm out in the wild. We, we like the word gregarious. Gregarious. I, I'll own that. I'll own that. It comes as no surprise to me any longer why people enjoyed talking to me. I, I hope so anyway. I'll, I'll say that. And that's because I I was forthcoming with, with people, right? And it wasn't to brag or pat myself on the back, but almost in reverse. I wanted the industry. I wanted the vendors. I wanted you to produce products for me. And so what harm would it do? In fact, where, like, how do you measure the benefit of me being publicly out there saying, if you want to sell me things, this is what I need you to build. Mm -hmm. And if you build these things, we will buy them, right? Uh Working on, even now working on the, for a very large vendor in the insurance community with all the connections and relationships that we have, there aren't very many people out there that are so forthcoming with that information. Please build me this stuff or in a, in a grant, you know, in a, in a macro sense, these are the right. kinds of things that we want to do in the near term, midterm, long term future. Right. Right. And, right. S- and so um, you know, figuring that out. And that's the first part of what I said, building products and services and developing products and services that people want to buy is the first challenge. Is that about identifying their problems? In part, in part, um, because as we've learned throughout the pandemic, necessity is the mother of all invention. Yeah, I'll, I can flip that around a little bit and talk whether it was really invention or not. But you know, necessity is really the mother of all things, and so finding out what the needs are like, helps you develop what's what's the problem statement. What problems do you have? Right here's the problem. Here's what I want to build. Here's what I think it'll do for you. I mean, those are the three things, right? So I, when people ask what I do, I don't have a really great straightforward answer for that because there are all kinds of definition. If you, if you work in my wheelhouse of claims automation, there are all kinds of definitions of claims automation. 20 years ago, 
when I was rolling out the first claim system at my first employer in 1999, 2000, it was so cool that I could hit a button and all the information that I used to have to write down with my hand and a pen in triplicate with carbon forms, I now I just click the button and all that stuff went into my file. Yeah. That was automation. You fast forward today and there are applications out there where you can take a picture of something. And by using just that picture, you can write a pretty darn good appraisal. Say a car, you can take a picture of a car. AI will identify what's wrong with the car and working with your estimating system of choice, it will write a pretty good sheet for what it cost. Now, far more, vastly more complicated than pre-filling a form, but still automation. In fact, Google definition of claims automation, and you will get nothing except for a bunch of people trying to sell you a bunch of stuff. It means all things and everything and different things to everyone, right? And that's sort of my job is to work within that that framework and say, what are the automation things that we should be focusing on to develop for the insurance industry that they actually want to buy? And so along this journey of self-discovery for myself and for Varus, one of the things that I've done, first off, to inform the strategy that I eventually have to develop is to reach out to the industry, to carriers, to insure techs, to mature techs, and find out, hey, what kind of stuff are you looking to build in the future? Where are you moving in claims. What stuff are you looking to do two years, three years, five years, 10 years from now that I can start building for you right now? How do I build the products you want to buy? Right. And then for all the stuff that we can't buy for the ecosystem, we, you know, we are a huge hub in the wheel that isn't the insurance claims ecosystem, right? We are a big wheel. And the other question becomes for the stuff that we don't make, for the stuff that we're not really good at, for the stuff that we choose not to make. How do, we be, how do we be a better partner of the industry and make sure that you know, those services and products are also incorporated into our design so that you get the best product possible? That is huge. It is yours to come in because I'm thinking about you and in your past role. You, you were loud and you're like, these are things I'm looking for. Is this something you can help me with? Uh, but it seems like you're having to kind of pull that, uh, pull that out of the industry. I would, I would imagine that's a, a very tough thing to do. It is. The voice of the customer is everything to me. And so if folks won't be loud like me, yeah. <laughs> thanks for your it's, it's true. I'll own that one too. Gregarious and loud. <laughs> I'll just start writing down the, uh, the adjective. We had a podcast a while ago with Alyssa Hunt, who was at QB at the time. And, and she talked about problems in that in her position that she was in, she was an SVP there. She said that she went out into the organization, into her organization internally, and looked for, basically looked for problems or looked for people to tell her about problems, right? So that she could then go find solutions by shopping through the industry to find where the solutions were to those problems, right? And it sounds to me like, you're kind of in that in that position where you're going out to the industry and you're talking to people and you're saying, where's your pain? What's your problem? What would be really cool if you had it? I think that one of the problems you'll have is, is that people aren't spending a lot of time thinking about that necessarily, right? And there's and they're probably turning to you and saying, What do you mean? What you should be telling me what what the fixes are to the problems. 
right? Absolutely right. Absolutely true. It is a tough proposition to get the information like we talked about. So I'll, I'll mention it here because by the time this airs, it'll be long done. But I'm in the middle, well, I'd say the, the, the back 15% of a very large study of the industry, speaking to carriers of all sizes, vendors of all sizes, to get the voice of the customer to find out what do you want and what kind of company do you want Veris to be in the ecosystem. And so these studies are blind. We don't know who's giving us the answer. I, I've, I've, been, I've made sure I don't want to know who is being interviewed. I don't want to know what company they work for. And for the most part, I don't even want them to know that this, this study is coming from Veris because I want the ugly. I've told our research partner, if you don't make us feel uncomfortable, you haven't done your job. Yeah. I want to know where the problems are because those are the gaps we need to fill. So let's dig into the product part, which I think is the thing that's, you know, funnest because, you know, trying to drag information out of people is hard as we know. Uh, I mean, that's what I do for a living. And so welcome to my world, right? Talk for a minute about what's hot out there in claims. This will be the most underwhelming news of the entire podcast, but it's all the stuff we started using as an industry because of the pandemic, right? Necessity yeah. being the mother of all invention. I said I get back to the invention thing. I'd say, and look, I worked for a carrier, a big carrier, when the pandemic first started. And so we weren't scrambling to find the tools that helped us handle claims virtually. We weren't scrambling to find the tools that allowed us to speak to people over the computer and over phones more easily. We weren't, we weren't scrambling to develop those tools. Those tools had existed forever. And I think my lesson, and I won't speak for any of my colleagues, but my lesson here is that shame on us as an industry. Like these are great tools. They're, they're not only great tools now because people want to keep using these tools. They see the benefit of these tools. All the things that were trying to be sold to me about the benefits of all these virtual tools and about video and virtual adjusting and how much you can get done without setting foot on a property or looking at a vehicle with an adjuster. All those arguments from the vendor system, from the vendor community, they've all been proven true. Yeah. And I think the greatest evidence of that is the fact that the industry doesn't show any signs of slowing down with this initiative to do more. Again, another thing that's loosely defined straight through, I'm doing air quotes for those who can't see me, which is everyone straight through processing. Right. We are we are now moving at a faster pace in that direction. I think the question is going to be. So, again, no real new news to know that we move slowly as an industry to adopt new technology. Right? No new, new news. Some are faster than others, but as an industry, we're really slow. The big question is going to be, do we keep that pace in the coming right. years as the pandemic wanes? I, I think the processes that were put in place the lessons we learned from the technology that was there and the collaboration between the carriers and the vendors now by getting by giving the vendors really good requirements for, hey, these are good products, but here's what you need to do to make them great products. I think there's a lot of that going on. These products were largely just sitting on the shelf, right? My question is how fast is the pace going to be after the pandemic for adopting new technologies again? I think it's I think you'll see a lot more of this pace going forward. How can we make the products we're already using better? But what about new stuff that comes out? 
now that you're on this side, you you came from a big carrier. I'm just wondering, are bigger companies faster movers or is it the smaller companies or is it all the same? I, I don't think the size of the company matters as much as the culture of the company. We certainly work with carriers that are large, that adopt new technologies very quickly. And we work with companies that are smaller that adopt technologies more slowly. I worked for a carrier. I worked for two carriers. And I would say, you know, they were both great companies. But I would say that, you know, one definitely had a more of a focus on failing fast than the other. I see. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it's cultural more than it is relative to the your premium. Both were forward-thinking, customer-focused companies. Just one the initiatives, you know, the, the focus of one was to fail fast. And the, the focus of the other was to was to refine products to make them the best they can. You know, I you know, I'm just sitting here thinking you you probably see all sorts of innovative cultures out there. Some companies who who say that they're innovative, but they're really not. And others who are really at their at their core, their their culture really does lead to test out. Talk a little bit about that. Was that surprising to you coming from where you did and seeing how other carriers work? Was that a surprise or is it kind of what, what you thought it would be? It's kind of what I thought it would be. I know that's you know not the exciting answer, but I, I think I had my my ear to the ground and my ear to the rail pretty well when I was at the carrier side. I, I'm very well networked in the insurance community and I have a lot of friends and I think I had a pretty good idea of who were the movers and shakers and, and who were the you know more analytic folks. Again, like I said, there, there's nothing wrong with either approach. There really isn't. And again, my biggest surprise coming to the vendor side is, again, how little the vendor community actually knows actually knows about what the what the carriers are thinking. And what's your insight about that? Why do you think that is the case? So I'm I'm trained as a project manager. I, I was a project manager once in my life, and I think the third sentence out of the first instructor's mouth that I had was, "There are only three rules to project management, and those are communicate, communicate, and communicate. And that when you have trouble on a project, most of the time you're going to trace that root cause to that issue back to inadequate." communication. And I think that's, you know, you just, I don't want to, you just look at our world now. And I think we've just all forgotten how to just talk to each other on a human basis, right? You know, there's, there isn't this, I never thought there was this, this line drawn between Rob Beller and Tony Triola. I work for a big carrier. You work for a vendor. There was never this, you know, I believe that I always have these great conversations because I think I learn a lot from you about what's going on in the industry that I should be keeping my eye on. And you learn a lot from me about what the carriers are actually wanting you to work on. And right. that's that's an example of effective communication in the industry. I, I don't know why people can't talk to each other in this industry, but I there's almost a, there is almost this line drawn between the vendor community and the carrier community. And the two sides don't communicate very well. Not in terms of needs, right? Not in terms of root cause problem solving. It's just, like you said earlier, Rob, you're looking at me asking you to tell you what to do. And I'm looking at you asking you to tell me what you're working on. And that's not, that's not conducive to developing mm-hmm. a product that either one of us wants to buy or sell. So do you think, do you consider Verisk an insure tech company? Yes, we're definitely an insure tech company. But I break insure techs down into the two categories. So I, I break insure techs down into insure techs and what I call mature techs. Some call them incumbents. 
InsureTechs are those companies that have come into being around 2010 when the InsureTech boom really hit and when FinTech products became InsureTech products and those two markets became distinctives. So anyone that existed prior to that time is a mature tech, I call, and anyone after that time-ish is an insure tech. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So your question is, how do we think about the insure tech space, being an insure tech ourselves? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to speak for Tony Triola and not for Verisk, but I've talked a lot about this internally, that insure tech, since that word really came out, it's really changed fundamentally how we think about the vendor community and insurance claims. Look, 10 years ago, there were very few well-funded insure tech companies out there with good products. And you fast forward a decade, and with all the investment that's been put into this market, there are hundreds, maybe thousands of products, you know, bright and shiny objects sitting on the shelf. And a lot of them come from very well-funded companies that are singularly focused on doing one thing and doing that one thing very, very well. And again, from my perspective and look, trying to operate in this space and develop products around that environment, that makes it very um, complex, right? For, for me and for Veris. Um, there are a lot more players in the space that we have to uh, both work with and watch out for. It's, I would say, and again, this is just speaking for me, when you're working for any company that has a very diverse portfolio of products that they're trying to sell to any industry, and that large company, regardless of the industry, is going up against another very well-funded, smart company that sells one thing, it's really hard to compete with that one thing. Mm Mm-hmm. I, it just it just is. Mm-hmm. I, and I'm not talking about Veris or anybody else. I'm just talking about just business in general. I think a lot of it has to do with the customer as well. Like at Alacrity, we sell many products. We, we sell many products. In fact, we just added temporary housing. There's a lot of things you can come to us for. The interesting thing is, is that some customers find that very attractive and some customers don't. And I think that's just the nature of business and the perspective of the particular organization that you're talking to, right? I mean, like some people might find it comforting that that Veris sells a, a range of things and therefore they have to they have one throat to choke, if you will. I was very worried about that when we started working for Alacrity, but what I've realized is is that a lot of customers like that. I, I agree with that. But, but then, you know, at the carrier side, when I was over there, I call it the all your eggs in one basket conversation. Mm-hmm. There's always that. There's always that conversation, regardless of which way you decide to go. Somebody always says the words, I'm not sure if I really want to put all my eggs in one basket. Yeah. Inevitably, somebody in the room says that. So, yeah, you're right. It goes both ways. The, the trick is. Yeah, it's hard to be all things to all people, right? And one of the big reasons I wanted to come to work at Verisk is because, and I, I got into this in our first interview, that I have this huge, I'm driven in a, large, in a large way to give back to this industry that's given me so much. 
as a to me and my family, you know, the, the life I've built coming from not a lot as a child. There are very few companies in this industry on the vendor side where you can have a real impact over hundreds of thousands, millions of people's lives, billions of dollars, right? But the truth is small changes that we make to our products at their risk, small changes impact tens of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands, millions of transactions, big dollars we're talking about here. So from the perspective of someone that wants to do good by the industry, why wouldn't I want to go to their risk and design products that change the game for the market and make everyone's life better. And that's really my mission here. My mission at Verisk is to design products that make this industry better and that allows our customers to serve their customers better and that changes the game forever in this industry. And it's not self-serving, it's but I'll I'll have I'll certainly have a whether anyone knows my name in 50 years or not, and I don't think they will, I will go to my grave with an enormous sense of accomplishment if I can do just a little bit to change this industry for the better. And I hope that I already have. That's really cool, Tony. It's wonderful. That's great. I, I feel much the same way about the industry. It's um, it's really a wonderful industry filled with people who, for the most part, just want to help people with their needs. I mean, they want there's a, there's a lot of people that want to make money too, and that's totally understandable as it should be. But, uh, but there's a lot of good you know, very good, um, intention out there. You mentioned money. I've always thought this way. I've always thought it was a good thing to make sure your partners thrive. But the truth is none of this happens without profits. We can't stay in business if we lose money, right? In fact, the more money that we make, the more money we have to put back into the business to research and develop and produce more products and enhance the products that we have today to make them better. I, I will tell you, I've had lots of conversations now, six or seven months in to being at my new company, being at Verisk. And I will tell you the entire organization in the claims division is aligned in wanting to be a good partner to this industry and wanting to develop and build products that make this industry better. A hundred percent. That That's cool. Does, does Verisk grow by acquisition? Yeah, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't think we're alone in that among any companies with no. a lot of capital. So one of the things that we're starting to see out there is a lot of insurtechs uh, being acquired, which is an interesting change in the community. For example, Old Penguin being was purchased by American Family. Do you have any comments about that and, 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 the, and that trend in the insurtech marketplace? I can't say precisely why other than to say as the velocity of change increases, the pressure on insurtech companies to keep up with that pace grows as well. And I think any company with capital in that environment always has to make that decision. Is it easier, faster, better to buy it or do we invest and building it. And I think all the investment you see in the insure tech space now is indicative of the velocity of change in our industry. And when you work inside the industry, I don't think we recognize how much faster we've become 
and adopting new technology. But I think if you look at the last 20 years and compare it to the 20 years before that, I haven't done this study, so I hope I'm right. I think that you'll see some exponential growth in the curve of the willingness to adopt new technology and services in the industry. Looking out five years from now, do how we do claims five years from now look a lot different? Or is it 10 years from now that it looks a lot different? Or do you care to care to wager on that? I'll wager on it. I'll take the bait. I think five years from now will be the real turning point for adopting the technologies that will make this industry look vastly different in 10 years. I'm just thinking about, and I'm using historical uh, historical mindset here with, with how quick the industry is, right? I think the industry adopted a lot of this technology to enable the virtual claims experience during the pandemic, using technology that was already on the shelf. I think now we're going through a period of taking all those disparate platforms that are out there and cobbling them together in some way to make better products that are combinations of several existing products. So the value of the whole is greater than the sum of all its parts, right? Is that the way I say that, right? I think that's the way you say it. Right. That's going to take a while to evolve, right? It's going to take a while to, to elicit those requirements and go in this, this loop of build, test, build, test, all to get to a place where we probably should have been five years ago. I think only then when that is over, and I'm going to guess that's two or three years from now, will then people start looking at, okay, what's next, right? So the next couple of years are going to be more, there'll be some innovation. Certainly there's going to be some innovation that will never stop. But I think you're going to see a lot of refinement of the tools that we're using today that, that by themselves don't serve the purpose insurers want them to serve. So three years from now, that'll end. And then you'll go through a couple of year period of developing these really great tools that are being, that are going to start being developed now, which five years from now, people will start buying. And knowing how fast this industry moves, and my bet is that we slow down again, knowing how fast this industry moves, I'm going to guess that it's going to take that 10 years to really see a change. But I'm seeing bits and pieces of it right now. Sure. it's No, I mean, it's not going to be a switch that gets flipped. It's not going to be one day. It's going to be an accumulation of changes, small and large. I wish I could tell you about all the cool stuff I see now. <laughs> You know, now that I have, now that I'm behind the curtain, uh -huh. like things that we've been working on that are stepping stones to building mm -hmm. something just mind blowing. Right. I mean, I think from Verisk in the next couple of years, you're going to see a few very mind blowing products that are, that are going to revolutionize the industry. If I have anything to do with it, and I hope that I do. Well, we hope you do too, Tony. And as they launch and become public, we hope you come back and talk with us about them. Would you do that? I would absolutely do that. I love you guys. I'd, I'd absolutely be happy to come back and talk about it. We said the, the ambiance of today's podcast is love. Love. All you need is love. <laughs> it's all you need. Love is a many splendid thing. Um, and we love having you on and love talking to you today and love seeing you because we're on video today. And we love having everybody with us. Will you come back and talk to us again? Anytime you like, Rob. It'd be my pleasure. I'm a big Tony Triola fan. Well, there's a lot to be a fan of. Yeah. Tony, Tony's a great guy. He's a, I'm super he's, happy for him. I'm happy that he's yeah. gotten to take all of his carrier knowledge, background, and experience and 
take it to some place where he can uh, use it to help all of us in the future. I think that's really cool. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed listening to him tell us about what he was doing and, and his mission. And it, it's neat that he is able to take all the knowledge from his past lives at the carriers and bring it in to really service the industry. And it, it's all about uh, doing good, right? Doing good. I, I, I really enjoyed listening to that. Well, we uh, wish him the best and are thrilled for him and look forward to having him back on at some point in the near future. And until then, we'll say to you what we say to everybody. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>